Um, you fry them once at a lower temperature in oil. It's called like a blanch. And then you fry them again a second time. And the reason you do that is you're trying to form a shell a little bit on the outside of the fry. There's then a cooling step to try to cool it to make sure like it sort of creates a separation on the outside of the inside. And then you want to fry them again at the end and you get a nice crispy outside, but a fluffy, almost mashed potato-y inside. And I think most people, common sense, you go to a really nice restaurant that makes their own fries, you can tell the difference between that and like the frozen fry that tastes like cardboard a few minutes after it gets cold. You know, most fries are good when they're hot out of the fryer and dunked in ketchup, but you can tell the difference between people that are doing it the real way versus more like the shortcut way. Welcome to Winning at Work, the podcast for foodies, founders, and food and beverage professionals. You know, if you wanted to discover a new brand, a new food or beverage to try, there are literally thousands of companies out there. It is very difficult to do that. That's why we curate the different, the better and the special brands here each and every week so you don't have to do the heavy lifting. If you're a founder and you're looking to connect with other like-minded executives, we make that very easy. And if you just work in the food and beverage industry and you're looking for fresh inspiration, we have that here in spades. This episode is sponsored by Temple. Congratulations, you're selling in retail. But the competition is fierce and your brand is surrounded by similar products. How will consumers find you? Let Temple show you an innovative retail sales solution. Click on the Attract Consumers link below. Need to attract great employees? Click on the Hire Now below and we'll show you how to use your culture to help you stand out. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. This is Tony. Today, I've got Jesse Koenig. He's the... Uh, co-founder, and I love his title, Professor of Swizzology. He's the co-founder of Swizzler. Uh, this is a basically, you think of like American comfort food, the food that we grew up eating. I can't wait to get into his story of how this, you know, 100% grass-fed beef um, has expanded beyond their kind of signature uh, spiral hot dog into smash burgers, crispy chicken, and uh, you know, how they've expanded into all the uh, Washington or nearly all of the Washington stadiums. Jesse, welcome in, my man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Yeah, man. So uh, you're just you're like a huge sports guy, right? I mean, you played soccer uh, yourself uh, at, at school. You couldn't get enough of that. So you you start coaching uh, the uh, the women's club team. You just couldn't get away from it. Yeah, I've, I've always been a bit of a dabbler. Uh, so I've played lots of sports growing up, a little bit of everything. Soccer ended up being the thing I played the most of. I was always like solid above average, but never like a, a superstar. Um, so I was able to try to always contribute in other ways. And coaching was something I sort of stumbled into doing a little bit of that in college, which is a great way to make some extra money, uh, more or less beer money on the side. But um, <laughs> met lots of awesome people, um, was part of the men's club team too, so played lots of soccer. But yeah, sports have been a big part of the, the most recent years of the business, doing a lot of food stuff in stadiums, which is pretty unbelievable to be walking around these giant stadiums when there's nothing going on, there's deliveries coming in, it's nice and quiet. Um, so it's been it's been pretty unreal to be on the other side of it and seeing the behind the scenes of what it takes. These are super complex operations. So it's cool to see it all happen in real life. Right. I mean, when you imagine the number of people that they push through inside of just a few hours and that it, it literally comes to life and you've got all these different brands, all the different food going out, you know, um, 
the you know the hamburger space is incredibly competitive. I mean, no matter what city you're in, you know, you've got easily 10, 15 choices. And I'm just, yeah, for people who you know, maybe are not in the in the DC area, I mean, because you've got a huge fan base there, a big tribe of people who who follow you there in, in DC. I just, I want to learn more about this food because I have not been able to get up there and try this. Your, your website looks amazing. Your food photographer, you need to give them a raise. Tell us more about the the food, the menu, and, and what you're trying to do here. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, burgers, obviously, they're they're part of the American culture. Um, you know, we were really thoughtful around that, trying to think about how we could pivot our original food truck concept into something that touched more people and is something that kind of fits into a little bit more of the, the day-to-day of just about everybody in the U.S. Um, you know, burgers and fries, it's pretty much, you know, that's America right there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's weird. I think I, I kind of agree and disagree about all the different burger options. I think, yeah, there's a, so many burger options that is pretty saturated in some ways. But in other ways, it's really starved for quality. I think we found this gap between traditional legacy QSR drive through type of fast food. And then there's that like better burger movement that sort of happened, the, you know, the $18 per person meal. It's inevitable and even more so these days with all the inflation and craziness. And we were right. trying to fall somewhere in the middle. We wanted to be what we think of as like a premium fast food option. We wanted to really give 10 times the level of experience around the quality of the food and service of the legacy QSR and things and still be beating up on the bigger, better burger concepts, but being at a a more affordable, more reasonable price, especially when you consider quality. So when it comes to food, we're all about sourcing is where it starts for us. We want to use really good ingredients. Um, You know, we think Cooking a burger in a lot of ways isn't rocket science. Like you mentioned, a lot of people can do it. But when you pair that up with great technique and good training, having an amazing team, and you have really good ingredients and you don't mess with them too much, you, you cook it fresh, you cook it to order. So we do 100% regenerative grass-fed beef smash burgers. We cook everything pretty much to order. We have a ham-breaded fried chicken sandwich we do. We make pretty much all of our sauces in-house. We get bread from a local bakery. We make our own fries. Um, so we're really trying to just put all the thought and care we can into the quality of the food to make it delicious and craveable. And I think we think of taste comes first as one of our, our core values. I think we care a lot about sustainability and sourcing and you know doing a great job for a lot of reasons. But we feel like if we can't beat the legacy fast food and these better burger concepts on taste, then what are we doing? You know, we have to win on making the best tasting food first. We always try to do that. We've been really, really fortunate that you know over the years we've been built a bit of a reputation around having high quality food we were recently named number five best burger by an awesome food writer out of the washington post in dc maryland virginia recently so that was really exciting and very validating man that's awesome to get the pub yeah it is awesome i think we early on back in the day in our food truck days we'd always be like pushing to try to get these like best new food truck awards and things and i think over time we we realized that you know, sometimes it's pay to play. Sometimes you never know what's going on with that stuff. We exactly. Put, put the ambitions to the side on it. But it's amazing just to have the organic validation of someone who you respect and admire, who does a lot of great journalism on food, coming out and critiquing 80 plus restaurants and putting you in the top, you know, five or 10 against some of the best chefs man. in the country in DC. Yeah, it was really, really awesome. You know, you've got a great Instagram presence too. I mean, because you're at this, you're at these stadiums, you know, there's, you have a lot of people that are going through and trying. And I think one of your videos that you had up there was uh, at one of the Wizards NBA games, right? Where the announcers are just, you know, they're calling a game and they're like, 
I just had the best burger I've ever had. Do you know where it was? Do you know when it was? It was right. It was like, he goes, he goes, he goes, it was just right now. Section 105. <laughs> yeah, that was a, such an incredible thing. We actually had a friend of ours who's in the food industry send me a text message. He was watching the Wizards game live. This was like in the third or fourth quarter. It wasn't like a big meaningful game. And I just got a video of someone recording the screen and showing the announcers talking about us live on the air. And then, you know, our, our sort of the partners and managers that are in the stadium sent us the live video cuts the next day. Um, but that was surreal. Yeah, it was completely unprompted. We had no idea it was coming. We just were focusing on putting out really good food. I guess the announcers, you know, they want to know what's going on in the stadium. They've got to eat as well. And right. uh, yeah, they started talking about it. And then I think they also reviewed our, our spicy, our uh, crispy chicken sandwich after that and had some good things to say. When you're serving really good, you know, craveable food, it just lends itself to people taking pictures and having fun and showing where they are with it. And that was just like a natural, spontaneous expression of it, you know? Yeah, I think it's it's really powerful. And I think we were, um, we first started our first food truck, we started right out of college in 2014. And that was right in the prime, like, quote, unquote, uh, for lack of a better term, food porn, like things on Instagram blowing up, not videos back then, but photos. So right. I think we got a good amount of just understanding about how important it is to make sure that the food looks as good as it tastes and that people eat with their eyes. So we kind of got that imprinted early on. And back then, it was more about doing sort of crazy different things. And of course, there's plenty of social media accounts that do a lot of that now. But I think for us, we always wanted to make sure that it is a complete experience. The food has to taste good. It's got to leave you feeling good because of the quality of the ingredients. Um, ideally, it's coming from a great source. But we also want to make sure it looks good and the presentation is super important. So I think it's trying to layer all of those things together and just really take a step back and think about being the consumer, being the person who's coming in and is going to keep your business alive by spending money at your restaurant. And how do you make sure every brand touch point is going to be as seamless, as frictionless, as amazing and fun as possible. And that's what we've been trying to do. And I think we've been a little bit lucky since we didn't have this traditional restaurant industry, 20 years of experience. We sort of had to like figure things out. And I know the uh, the buzzword is like first principles thinking these days, but really that's what we had Boy, to do. Say it's that like again. Real- first principles think, wait, what is that? Say, say yeah, that it's again. A- it's something you hear a lot about on like, you know, tech bro, Twitter and like business podcasts and things. But thinking in first principles is sort of just shedding all of the ways people think about like culturally the stereotypes and things and trying to get down to what are the very core nugget principles. Like when you ask like the why question a few times, what is the real thing that people care about? And I think in the food space for us, we think a lot about it comes down to how do you feel like what how does it make you feel? Um, does it bring you joy? Does it make you leave you feeling good after? Or are you feeling sleepy and like you need to take a nap? Is it bringing people together? Is there elements of community there? Um, so those are the things we're always trying to optimize for is like, how do we make something taste great? How do we greet people when they come in the door? How do we make people feel really good? Um, we're not perfect. You know, the food business is super challenging. Hey, I mean, you're human business, but, um, you know, we do our best every day to just try to put out great experiences and it starts with the food, but it's kind of everything around that as well. So well, this is what I'm trying to figure out because I love your mission. You know, it's you you wanted to expand your menu to the all-American eats that you know we grew up on without the grease or the guilt. And I do think that's one of the issues that people have when they think about going to get a great burger and fries, is they think, oh geez, you know, now I gotta go run six miles or go, you know, lift some weights or something to, you know, kind of burn off calories, et cetera. So how do you even approach living up to that, this, you know, without the grease or guilt? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that uh, we try to, one, make a very clear 
um, perspective on is like, we're not a health food concept. Like we're not serving salads. And I think that's okay. I think in our mind, what we're trying to do is be a gateway for the person who's already eating a lot of fast food because it's familiar, because it's convenient, because it's easy, because they just love the taste of a great burger and fries. We want to be appealing to that customer and also giving the person who maybe hasn't had a burger in a while because they know it makes them feel bad because they know that it's not good for the environment. All these things that are you know problematic in some ways about fast food. How do we like reintroduce those people to that burger a month or the burger before the baseball game or at the stadium and get them back into the fun and the joys and the nostalgia around having a really great all-American meal? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we try to really just focus on how does our bottom line make a little bit more sense than just making a profitable restaurant. I think we try to look at things from a little more modern approach of thinking about the triple bottom line or you know five bottom line, whatever all these different companies think about it. But right. it's about making sure the business is sustainable. Of course, that's really important. But it's also trying to move the needle in the right direction around the quality of the food, You know that food's impact on the environment, how we treat our team, how we pay our team, um, and just trying to think about all those different things. And we know we're not perfect. There's tons of things we'd love to do but we also try to make sure like we're leading into the food has to taste amazing. It's got to be at a price point that people are willing to pay and they feel like they're going to get a really great value. And as we get bigger, we want to get better. That's, I think, the big thing we've put into our core DNA as a newer brand that's seen these incredible you know, brands all over the country that have started 50, 60 years ago that sort of lost their magic somewhere along the way and got very corporate and optimized for quarterly earnings and all these there crazy you things go. that happen. Commercialized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like commercialization, like there are positives. Like we're not like, you know, let's buck the system. Nothing wrong like, with it. Know. Nothing wrong with it, you know. But, you know, when you start taking shortcuts, that's when you run into the, you know, more of the unhealthy eating. Absolutely. And I think that's exactly how we think about it. It's like let's not take shortcuts. Let's try to do things the right way. Like our French fries are a good example we make our own house cut twice fried fries. There's a lot of ways you can make French fries and do it a little bit faster, a little bit cheaper, but we've always taken pride on doing it the right way. The same way a chef would do it at a fine dining restaurant. That's the way that we're doing it for our restaurant. Even if it is more of like a quote unquote fast food restaurant, when we make our burgers, it's like a smash burger on a locally baked bun that has a lot of thought into the ingredients. So it's just trying to really just go the extra mile and make sure there's a thoughtfulness and no shortcuts. And you're not just trying to do things because they're scalable and easier. Sometimes building out your own French fry manufacturing stuff is a lot more difficult, but we feel like it's rewarding and it sets us apart. So we try to focus on what are the important things? How do we find really great partners? If we can't find a great partner, how do we do it ourselves? And that's just sort of been our motto from day one. And we want to just continue along that line of thinking and stick to our guns and our values as we continue to grow. People may not realize this, but as a, as a food entrepreneur, when you decide that you want to sell fries and you're talking to your distributor that you want to have, have fries, they probably have, what, 20 different brands they can show you? It's, in, it's incredible. How many fries did y'all sample to land on the, the brand you wanted, right? I'm sure there's a whole story behind this. Yeah, it's a big story. I don't know if we want to go deep into it. We don't have to, to, but I just give us the high points because people have no idea how many yep. options are available. And then I want to hear, tell us a little, I, I also go through that, but I want to nerd out a little bit. Tell me why you double fry. People maybe never have heard of this. It's like incredible tasting fries. 
All right. So we're going into fries. I love it. So fries are a big passion of ours. They always have been more so right now, but I'll give you a sort of, we'll start on the end and work our way back. But why do a twice fried fry? This is the original way French fries have always been done. Um, fries were originally in from Belgium. So there's like the Belgian style twice fried fry, like frites. I know we call them French fries. I think the story is actually that in World War II, I believe it was, um, you know, there were soldiers that were American that ended up in Belgium, but they were speaking French. So they thought it was France. So that's how like the whole French fry thing happened. But really, it's a it's a Belgian thing. Oh. And the twice fried fry, the whole point of it is that when you do a first, you cut potatoes, usually people soak them in water to pull out some starch or they try to just make sure the fries, the potatoes are kind of set up for the best fry possible. Um, you fry them once at a lower temperature in oil. It's called like a blanch. And then you fry them again a second time. And the reason you do that is you're trying to form a shell a little bit on the outside of the fry. There's then a cooling step to try to cool it to make sure like it sort of creates a separation on the outside of the inside. And then you want to fry them again at the end and you get a nice crispy outside, but a fluffy, almost mashed potato-y inside. And I think most people, common sense, you go to a really nice restaurant that makes their own fries, you can tell the difference between that and like the frozen fry that tastes like cardboard a few minutes after it gets cold. You know, most fries are good when they're hot out of the fryer and dunked in ketchup, but you can tell the difference between people that are doing it the real way versus more like the shortcut way. And it's actually funny, like freezing isn't a bad thing in fries. It actually is better. Um, freezing is great because it creates more of that shell on the outside. The problem is that most frozen fries are these big commercial frying operations. So kind of circling back to the start of your question, there are a lot of fry options out there. Um, but the surprising thing is they're actually all pretty much made by the same two or three companies. There's yeah. a huge monopoly around French fries in the U.S. Oh, yeah. and North America. Um so, yeah, West it's kind of crazy. Like, of there them. might be 40 SKUs or different styles of French fry in a catalog, but they're all owned by like two or three brands. And they're all made in these giant facilities. They're doing a nine step process and they're putting hundreds of thousands of pounds an hour through this line to make it you know, as efficient as possible. And they're good at making a lot of French fries, but they're taking a lot of shortcuts to be efficient and cheap. We believe in going a little bit slower, staying true to more of the Belgian style, better way of doing a French fry. I think that's why ours can stand apart. And it's something we've gone so deep down the rabbit hole on. We tasted all the other fries. We realized no one's really doing it. We're actually starting a frozen French fry business, a manufacturing business to give our own restaurants fries, of course, but also give them to other restaurants and to be Look selling them in that. the grocery store too. I just too. backed up into that by mistake. Yeah, I know. It's funny. It's a, This is sort of a newer development too. It's outside of like the quote unquote swizzle world a little bit. But Dude, you know, that is so smart. That is yeah. so smart, man. You're just diversifying. You know, you've okay. Wait, before we get into your frozen fry business, that that sounds really cool. And I imagine obviously that's going to be a food service play where you just you know provide that to other restaurants. Um, the so you're saying the the fries the, the potatoes are cut, and then you you soak them in water to get rid of the starch. Then you give them that first light fry at a lower temperature. Are you saying? Of course, they have to dry. You kind of let that shell kind of form. At what point are they frozen? Um, so they're frozen after they're fried. So you basically would cut them. Um, there's like blanching and brining and stuff that can happen on the front end. But basically, you're going to go from a cut potato to a first fry. And that's when you're going to be cooling them down. So that's when they get frozen. Got sometimes it's like thought. seasoning or coating a fry. That would also happen probably before they're frozen. Sometimes they're done after. But they're getting cooled down rapidly from the time that they're fried on that first fry. You're trying to then get them cold 
quickly. And in a lot of restaurants, like if you go get boardwalk fries somewhere or you go to some of these QSR brands that do fries in house, they'll usually just pull them out of the first fry and let them sit at room temperature to like get down to room temperature, but they're not actually cooling them down. If you go to a big hotel or a bigger operation that has a bigger kitchen, they're usually throwing them into a walk-in, into a fridge to get them to cool down to like refrigerated temperature, which is good. And that's what we used to do back in the day when we first started. And you get really great French fries that way. But now we got in the process of doing freezing and we found that the freezing really helps get even more of that crust on the outside to give a nice crunchy fry and it helps them stay crispy a little bit longer. So by going into freezing, you're just kind of doubling down on the principles of what works really well. And sort of like, I think that's what gives us an advantage where we can be an outsourced option for these food service places where whether they have a small kitchen or they just don't want to have to pay for somebody to be in the back, just cutting potatoes all day. We can use our expertise and equipment to make sure we're giving them the best quality fry and make it really easy for them to serve really great French fries to their guests. Well, and you're also perfecting your own supply chain. You know, you're taking away a big, uh, important step that they're not having to do now. And you can, they can just have delivered the first fry, uh, you know, in a frozen form, and then they can just boom, fry it up. And then now they've got the final product, right? That's, that's the idea. That's amazing. Thanks. And yeah, and then we actually, because we do this already and we're doing the freezing step to solve our own needs, we started working on selling them in the grocery store as well. So you can cook them in the oven or air fryer at home and our testing, they're, they're really great. They're, uh, they taste better than any other frozen fry we've ever had, especially the ones I grew up on. They were on the sheet tray in the oven. It kind of tastes like nothing. Um, so we're really excited to be getting really deep into this frozen fry world and similar to our sourcing around our restaurant. Like we want to be working directly with our growers continuing to find ways to work with people doing things the right way. And again, as we get bigger, get better, helping farmers transition to better growing techniques and stuff that's more sustainable or higher quality nutrition. So I think it all plays into it. And it's it's funny because it's a different business, but so related to our restaurants and how we got started. And we've been making French fries for eight or nine years, along with hot dogs originally, now burgers and fried chicken sandwiches. So it's one of those serendipitous things we kind of stumbled into, but it's been really exciting. And again, like who doesn't love French fries? Like I grew up eating hot fries out of a bag at a, a drive-through and it's, you know, one of the favorite things. So we're glad to be able to bring people a really high quality restaurant quality fry without all the, like the weird ingredients you can't pronounce, a super clean label thing that's just potatoes, oil, seasonings, that's it. And keeping it really simple and just focusing on quality and technique and not taking shortcuts. You know, there's a huge movement with lower sugar or less sugar. You know, when you start looking at all the ingredients that we put on our food, the commercial manufacturers have just added so much sugar and corn syrup and, you know, high fructose, all this to kind of keep extending those um, original ingredients out as far as they can so they can give, you know, create a cheaper product, make more money. Again, nothing wrong with profit, but what's happened is, you know, we, this has come up quite a bit on the podcast is that our taste buds are being re-engineered to want everything that is sweet. So with this movement you're making, you know, with these fries, um, I, I gotta tell you, there's a company that I totally need to refer you to because they have a food service option for sauces. I don't know if you've ever heard of Carl Starkey and awesome sauce. Yeah, awesome sauce. Now, now that you mention it, that does sound super familiar. But you know, we totally agree. That's the exact thing we've seen. Um, again, kind of like taking an outsider approach and looking at it from a consumer lens and right. sort of like a somewhat academic lens, more than like, well, this is the way it's always been. Um, there has just been such a crazy amount of, you know, 
quote unquote technical innovation that isn't necessarily a good thing um, of re-engineering foods and doing things that are kind of like making our taste buds go crazy and making it craveable and all this stuff. But you know, when you look into like you get really deep down this rabbit hole of high fructose corn syrup and sugar, like you mentioned, there's also a huge growing movement around seed oils. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but that's something we've been paying a lot of attention to of, you know, the detrimental and somewhat, um, you know, scary effects of eating lots of things like canola and soybean oil and sunflower oil. And when you look at ingredient labels and realize how much of that stuff is in all of the food we eat, pretty much every processed food item you get at the grocery store. Um, I think I've heard a stat like 20% of the calories that all Americans eat right now come from seed oils. And there's a weird correlation. And like, there's people who can speak this better than I can around a lot of the diseases and the things that are going on that no, no one in America is feeling very fondly of, I imagine. Um, there's a big correlation of the introduction of these seed oils into our diets through processed food. Um, a lot that, you know, almost directly correlates to a lot of these things. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. And the one thing I will say is that I'm really optimistic. It sounds like, uh, Carl, I believe you said an awesome sauce is doing some really great things in that space. We've met so many entrepreneurs and people in the food space who are trying to just take things either back to the way they were and going back to basics or being really innovative about giving people better options and new food options that meet all the the growing demands around how people want to eat their food. Um, So I'm really optimistic that I think really passionate founders coming out in the food space, having access to capital, being able to go and launch new products and test things out that we're going to get a lot of great things. And there's going to be a huge shift in the foods that we all eat in the future. Um, But it's going to take time and it takes um, people, you know, sort of like taking a pause and thinking, hey, is this just the way I've been eating because I've always eaten this way? Or does this seem like the right thing to do? Um, And I think almost everybody, like, it's a very common sense thing. Once you take a moment to pause and learn a little bit about our food system, you start to realize that, um, most things that we're eating on sort of, you know, flyby or on a uh, default cruise control mode are usually not the things that are good for us. And there's nowadays, luckily, some good alternative options that are as convenient as easy. Maybe they're a little bit more costly right now. But when you think about all the downstream effects of eating food that's you know bad for us and causes diseases and obesity, and all the crazy things that are out there. Um, you know, it's a pretty good trade-off to invest in yourself and invest in the foods that you're eating and, you know, how you think about that. Yeah. You've, yeah, you just hit a home run and you touched on so many things there that I, that I'm really passionate about. If, if we were to look back in time, you know, people were growing up on farms with their own livestock and their, and their own vegetables, you know, and that's, that's the homesteader lifestyle. And, you know, the, the more you can, you know, be a little more self-sufficient and and blend those kind of things into your own diet, just the better. The more we are dependent on these large commercial systems, the more you're just getting wrapped up into a supply chain with things that you just do not want to be eating. And I think it's super important for companies like yours and others who are able to feed, you know, lots and lots of people that you can start introducing better and better ingredients and, you know, to your point, we are going to get to price parity. It's going to take a little while. But in the meantime, you just have to make, you know, better choices. And when you do find a good uh, QSR f- a chain that you just love, has better, better high, higher quality food, and you like the people, the experience, the vibe, the, exper- the experiential side of it, you just stick with them. 
you know, and I think that's what's happening for you. Now, before we go, your footprint is in D.C., correct? Yep. We are uh, currently based in D.C. We have our restaurant in Navy Yard, uh, southeast D.C., for those that know the area. We're right next to Nat's Ballpark because we opened our first brick and mortar during COVID, no less. But uh, today it's doing pretty well. And then we have six stadium locations across three of the major sports arenas. So we're at Capital One Arena. We're at FedEx Field this season for the first time at Nat's Ballpark. So if you're going to see a Capitals game, a Wizards game at Capital One Arena, go in and go root on the, the Washington Commanders at FedEx Field or go watch a baseball game at Nat's Ballpark. Um, you can get your Swizzler fix at any of those places or come see us at our restaurant. This, you know, what you're building probably, not probably, something like this would be very attractive to many of to many other cities. Do you imagine, is there a time in the future where Jesse and the experts uh, at Swizzology expand this to other cities? Yeah, I mean, it's something we think about. And I think when we got into the burger space, kind of circling all the way back to how we started, you mentioned like it's a very saturated space. And I challenged it a little bit saying, well, it's like sort of star for quality, even though there's lots of options out there. Part of the reason we focused on, you know, burgers and fries, Americana, like, quote unquote, this like better fast food is we feel like we wanted to do something that could make an impact at a really large scale. We wanted to do something that wasn't this niche thing that only works in cities or only works in certain parts of the country. We wanted to do something that had the legs to grow and make an impact and truly give people better food and ultimately support a better supply chain and sourcing all the stuff we started talking about here. Um, so yeah, in the back of our minds, ever since day one, we wanted to build something that could be all over the country and be competing with the biggest chains that are out there. I think we've tried to take an approach of slow and steady that you can't scale something that's not really amazing. So we wanted to make one really great restaurant and then we're working on probably getting to two really great restaurants and stadiums and all this stuff. But um, we've definitely had interest from folks reaching out, doing things like in the franchising space or growing the brand. So. It's something that we've definitely considered, and uh, we just want to make sure we're taking a thoughtful approach. I think you can most likely guess that we're not going to just take a shotgun approach where you have Swizzlers all over every part of the country all at once. We'll likely try to be focusing on one region to start and then being able to grow thoughtfully and build out our supply chain and be able to grow from there. But um, there's definitely some talks, things in the works um, for those that are maybe in more of the restaurant space, the franchising world definitely reach out. We'd love to get you like on a list or just be in touch and fill you in on some more of the, the nitty gritty details. Um, but for any listeners that are looking to get Swizzler and that aren't maybe right directly in DC, I will say there's a chance that, you know, there could be one coming near you. But in the meantime, come to our nation's capital, come eat some Swizzler. Um, there's lots of amazing food options here. There's lots of really awesome founders. So I think there can be a really great visit and a great experience no matter what. But please make sure you come and, and get a burger, get a chicken sandwich, eat some fries while you're here too. Well, and very selfishly, here I am in North Carolina, and you're a demon deacon, so I think it makes sense for you to come to North Carolina next. That's all I'm saying. That I, just I, will, I will give some sneak peek. I, I do always want to give a little bit of alpha, you know, when we're on a, a podcast, give something fun. So I will say, you know, if, um, you know, no no promises here, but if there is going to be a, a growth plan for Swizzler in the near future, I'd say it's a pretty safe bet that sort of like the, the mid-Atlantic, the southeast, between D.C. and Atlanta is a, a pretty good bet that I'd place of where you might see a Swizzler location popping up. So I don't know if North Carolina will be the first one, um, but it's definitely in the first few locations we're thinking a lot about. And of course, um, love would be awesome to kind of go full circle and have 
some future demon deacons that are on campus being able to go get their Swizzler fix rather than go in the cookout, which we used to do back in the day all the time. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, well, and you know, you could roll things out in food trucks too, you know, and just kind of reintroduce. There's, you have so many options that are open to you. Jesse, I'm so glad you've been able just to talk more about your story and the, these great fries and just kind of how you're managing this. There's so many other topics that I know we can get into, but we'll have to wait for another time. It's so good seeing you again here my man on uh, on winning at work. We'll see you next time. Yeah, we'll have to do around too. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much.